Back home again in dear old Elmhurst, and it seems that I can see the gleaming French porch lights still burning bright through the seven wards of trees. The backyard skunks send all their fragrance through the streets I used to roam. When I dream about the moonlight on her salt creek, how I long for my great big Elmer's home. Golly! And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malort. Welcome to another edition of the E-Town Lowdown. I'm here with my buddy PK. How are you, PK? Doing great. Big night tonight. Yeah, it is. And I have a question for you. Had you ever thought about the transmission of COVID in a hot tub? Like, not in the air, but does, you know, in the water? Didn't want to think about that. I'm not vaccinated yet, and uh, I'm a little worried about that. Well, thanks for sharing. Please stop sharing the COVID. And our, our guest tonight, I'm not sure if he's vaccinated or not. But uh, we'll find out. He's somebody that a lot of folks here in town know. He is the only human being to serve four full terms as mayor of Elmhurst. I'm not sure if that's a badge of honor or a reason to feel sorry for him, but our good friend Tom Marcucci. Welcome, Tom. Elmhurst royalty. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. You know, uh, PK and I were talking here a couple weeks ago and uh, noticed that that Mayor Morley had decided not to run for mayor and wondering what was going through his head, being that, you know, he's had a lot of power, whatever that means here, the last two terms, and he's only been mayor half as long as you were, and wondering maybe how you felt as your terms were winding down. And I mean, you were you were mayor for a long time, Tom. So tell us a little bit about how you felt as the end approached, so to speak. Well, I had... Uh been thinking about it for some time. Recall that I announced one day that I wasn't going to run again, and I had been thinking about it pretty seriously for the previous six months. Uh, and you know, you, you something like that's pretty bittersweet. I mean, I, I really grew to love the job. I liked the job. I had fun doing the job. And uh, whether I was good at it or not, you know, it's for other people to decide. But uh, I. Really enjoyed it, but it, as I said at the time, that you don't want to be the last one to leave the party, you know, the guy that hangs around too long. And I had really, I looked at some of my early literature, and I had accomplished pretty much, not everything, but pretty much of the, the important stuff that I wanted to do. The boxes were checked. And quite frankly, a little thought creeped into the back of my mind that if I stick around, something's going to go wrong. I was going to say, you obviously did a good job. You kept getting reelected. Yeah. The, well, interesting, that may I add, that I only got reelected once because the second term and the third term, those races were uncontested. They didn't think they could beat you. Yeah. Well, it was either that or maybe they thought I was doing a good job. I prefer, yeah. I prefer answer B, 
Both. Rather than, yeah. or maybe both, yeah. maybe all of the above. I, I don't know. Um, but, I, I, you know, I was very surprised at the end of the first term when no, no one uh, decided to run. And then, that, then it happened again. And it was pretty un, unusual. You know, I would say remarkable. But, I mean, I'll leave that for other people to decide why. But well, it was certainly impressive to me, too, because you did it while you were working. Now you're retired, and that would be a great time to be the mayor, wouldn't it? Yeah, except I'm old. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a, that had a lot to do with why I could do it. I have a family business. I'm involved in a family business. Right. And I had to go to my cousins and an uncle and literally ask for permission to run for mayor. Was it in a dark room? No. You had to put your knuckles up on the table before you... <laughs> no. No. I've told the story that, uh, and I won't mention his name, because at the end of this meeting, one of the things he said was, uh, well, let me tell you the whole meeting briefly, as briefly as I can. I, this fellow was, I was, what, 41 at the time, at the moment. He was probably 55 to 58, had been my mentor, my senior for a long time, and... Uh, the history of it, and I've told this to the family over the years, is that we didn't like each other very much when I first started. Uh, uh, I was a young Turk, full of, as uh, they say... Uh, piss and vinegar. Piss we and can vinegar, say that. Piss and vinegar. This is a podcast. You can say about okay. just about anything. And, uh, you know, I was always, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? You know, I think we ought to do this. And... You know, I, the poor guy, you know, running a family business. We have over 30 family members working in the business. And it must be like dealing with a box of puppies. Everybody's excited. <laughs> Everybody wants to do something. And his job was to kind of keep all of us under control. As we got, as he got older and I got older, I said to myself one day, oh, he's, we're getting along better. He, he's mellowing out. And then it dawned on me, it wasn't him that was changing. It was me. I was just kind of growing up and growing into the job a little bit and being more feet on the ground, so not silly. So anyways, uh, I go in, I knock on his door one day and come in and I go in and I say, Bob, I just thought I should discuss this with you. I, uh, I'm thinking about running for mayor of my town. Uh, and he, like, surprisingly to me, he got what I, a word I learned on Saturday Night Live, he got verklempt, he got like choked up. Hmm. And he wasn't a choked up kind of guy. And he said something to the effect of, well, Tommy, that's what we came to America for. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. He said, uh, I'll support you all the way. But by the way, don't mention the company name because mm. we can't get involved in politics, which, A, he's right. And yeah. B, I, I respect it. So even tonight, I didn't mention his name. So, uh, But the point was that at some point, I got to work late. I went in Elmhurst City Hall every day, five days a week. And you yeah. were in early by 10, right? Yeah, it was crack of dawn. I, <laughs> I don't know if you said that. It's kind of well known that I'm not an early morning guy. I don't, I don't like to. My clock is set way late. It's all relative. When I was in college, I never took a class before 10 o'clock in the morning. Never. And I took a lot of night classes so that I could make that happen. And then my, but like everybody else, I slept basically six, seven hours a night. I'd go to bed at 3 a.m. and I'd get up at 9 yeah. a.m. Yeah. That's six hours. Car right? salesman. Car salesman hours. So uh, anyway, um, uh, where was I? Um, I uh, you got permission he, he, from so yeah. I, got, I got permission from on high to go, to go ahead and, and run. And uh, it was late in the process. 
this is kind of a transitional story. Um, I had been approached by some folks in late September, let's just call it September, uh, and asked if I had an interest in running for mayor. And they kind of knew me because I had been involved for a very short period of time with the Elmer's People's Party. But if you remember, Robert Quinn and his party had really beat us like a dead horse. I mean, we were we couldn't win anything. You were not on the city council or no, anything no, like that? No, yeah. no, no, okay. no. So at this time, this is now the mid-'80s. I'm, I'm just like the chairman of the fifth ward for the Elmhurst uh, uh, Concerned Citizens Party or whatever we were. And, gotcha. Uh, um, and we weren't getting anywhere. And, it, and the other thing I didn't like about it, and this came back not to haunt me, but came back, it was like a seed that I planted in people's mind. I got up at a meeting one time, and I said, you know, folks, I'm, I'm not going to be the fifth ward chairman anymore. And, you know, I found this to be an interesting process, but I don't, you know, we're just, we never talk about the issues here in Elmer's. We talk about how much we don't like the other party, and this guy's a jerk, and she did this. And and it was it was very personal, and I didn't, like that i mean that's not what i was in it for right and i thought well i'm gonna go pay attention to my business instead of everybody else's business and i walked out but some people remembered that and so over the next six years the dissension got much worse um two different parties were born and and died in about a six or seven or eight year period uh there was a group of aldermen on the Elmhurst City Council suing each other. Like three aldermen were suing three other aldermen. I hmm. don't remember exactly, but it was it was bad. Yeah. They and and uh, and I got asked if I would like to run for the, with this party with this group, and I thought, well, yeah, maybe I could help, maybe make it better. So I go to like three or four meetings over a two-week, three-week period in October, and I discover that nothing's really changed. This group just wants to argue with the other group. So I said, well, you know what? You, you've got time. Get somebody else. Good luck. And I, I left that situation. So now October goes by. November goes by. We get into December, and we have a candidate who's running, uh, Betsy Aldridge specifically, a 16, I believe she was a six, 14 or 14 year alderman. 14. I think. I hope I'm not cutting her short. She did a great job. She was a dedicated public service, but she was involved in this argument going on, and uh, um, and nobody else was running. So I don't know exactly what the rules are today or what the dates are, but generally speaking, you can pick up petitions if you want to run for public office in Elmhurst in something like the first weekend of October, kind of generally. And you can start passing them right away if you want. But you you pile them up on your dining room table, and then uh, the hand-in time comes. And it, it runs on a Monday through a Monday. And this is like the first or second week in January. <clears throat> and uh, I'm, like, going back and forth with my wife. What, what should we do? Can I do this? Would I do this? I'd run as an independent. No, other, otherwise, there's not going to be a race. And uh, I finally decided I was going to do it. I go into Elmhurst City Hall. I've told this story before, and if I, I hope I don't bore your listeners or you guys, but I go into Elmhurst City Hall on Wednesday morning. The petition, petitions have been handed in the previous Monday, and I got to the end of business hours on the coming Monday to get it done, about 420-some-odd petitions. 
So I go into Elmhurst City Hall. I go up to the clerk's office desk, and I say, excuse me, is this where you pick up a petition and run for public office? And the girl goes, well, yes. And I said, well, can I have one of those? I'm thinking about trying to run. And she goes, oh, well, it turns out it's a different petition form if you're running as an individual or party. So as she bends down behind the counter to get the form out, she looks up and says, and would you be running as an independent or as part of a party? And I said, oh, as an independent. She says, oh, uh, fine. Uh, what, what would you be running for? Not that that's important, but she's just making conversation. She said, what would that be for? And I said, mayor. And she literally laughed in my face. She went like, <laughs> <laughs> she just, she was leaning over already and she just went like, oh, 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 uh, oh, oh okay. Uh, and she gives it to me and that's she funny. says, you know, this has to be back in by the end of business on, on Monday. I said, yes, I understand. And you're off open till what? Five o'clock? Okay, five o'clock. And, uh, and I want to confirm the count is 410. She goes, yeah. So I go upstairs because I have never met Mr. Borchard, which people later said, like, you know, we were two peas in a pod. We finished each other's sentences. But I had, I had never met Tom. Great guy. Great guy, as it turned out. Former Thank guest God. on the podcast. Yes, I'm aware. And and uh, so I go up, and I believe it was Dorothy Schmidtke sitting behind the counter. She had been there since I was, like, in high school. She had been there forever. And I recognized her. And I said, excuse me, uh, is Mr. Borchard in? She said, yes. She said, can I have a couple of minutes of his time? She goes, well, I'll see if he's available. What is it concerning? And I said, well, I, I'm uh, Tom Marcucci, and I'm thinking about running. I'm going to run for mayor. And she didn't laugh in my face, but she gave if you know Dorothy, she gave me that big eyebrows went up like, oh. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know what she said to Tom in the office, but I'm sure it went something like, Tom, there's some guy out here. There's a nut out here. There's a nutcase out here. Yeah. Some whack job is is – thinking he's going to run for mayor and he wants to, yeah. I guess, say hello. Yeah. So I went, you know, Tom comes out because, you know, he never ducked a citizen. And he said, yeah, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm Tom Marcucci. I'm thinking about running for mayor. And, you know, it was a very short conversation. Yeah. And he basically said, good luck, fella. And, uh, <laughs> and I ran. And so that was Wednesday morning. Friday morning, uh, I'm at work and the phone rings. And this guy, is this time Marcucci? I go, yeah. He says, well, this is Neil. I forget his last name. I shouldn't forget it. But he was a covered Elmhurst for the Chicago Tribune. Okay, yeah. I want to say Nieberger or Neil, Neil, something like that. Anyways, I'm sorry. I apologize to his family. Uh, he said, this is Neil from the Chicago Tribune. Are, are you the guy that's going to run for mayor? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, tell me a little bit about why you want to do it. What's your platform? And I said, well, you know, First of all, it's an uncontested election. I don't think that's healthy for the town. And more to the point that, you know, it's been very contentious in Elmhurst City Hall. And I, I'm a salesman. I'm a get-along kind of guy. And I'm not that high-powered all the time. And I'd like to kind of soothe those waters and see if I can mediate between the two groups. And, and so we talk about that for a little while. Mentioned the North Avenue rebuild, which today... Most people have no idea when I talk about it. that was the big issue, the rebuilding of North and the Avenue. Berto jug handle and the get eliminating the Berto jug handle and not widening the street too much. Uh, they, they, one time the city of Illinois proposed taking out all the houses along the south side of the street, all wow. the way from the county line to 83. So and Elmhurst kept saying no. 
That's another story. I figured we'd go negotiate with them and try to work something out, which is what we did. So, um, so that that was uh, the kind of big issue. So I called all my friends. Now I had a little bit of an advantage over some people running for office in Elmhurst because a I was raised here since I was five years old, and b I went to Mac Conception Grade School for grade school and York High School for high school. So I knew people in both of those worlds, which aren't very divided today. But if you go back to 1990, yeah, yeah, they were two different worlds. Definitely. And then, you know, it's not like they were fighting with each other or anything. They just didn't cross over that much. Right. So, uh, so I I get these petitions out, and um, uh, I I got to get 420 by Monday afternoon. My very good friend Bob Stolper who I had gone to very early in this thought process and asked him if he would support me. If I would, he said, yes, under one, because he has a family business in town and, you know, he can't be messing around. I said, he said, you, you can never go negative. I just, me, me and my family, we brother, we just hate negative talk. And uh, you remember, if you embarrass yourself, you embarrass my company. So you, you got to be, you know, careful, straight shooter. I said, absolutely. Nice. Yeah, it was reasonable request on his part. Good friend it? holding you accountable. It, bingo, exactly. So I, he's also a notary public. So he said, I'll come over, I come over to my house at 5 o'clock Sunday afternoon and we'll see how many. Hopefully we'll get 420 back. We got a little over 1,500. Wow. That's what I said. <laughs> wow. There were people who had been calling and asking for more wow. forms because you put, I think it's 10 names on a form. And... Uh, um, and so we, you know, you can't hand in the 1500, you can only hand in, I think it's 10% more than the required number. That's so they can go through them and figure out if you've been faking it. Legit. Yeah. Legit and all that kind of stuff. So we got them handed in and that, that was the start of it. And for the longest time, and I don't know if this is the question you asked me 20 minutes ago, but kind of like how this started and how I got involved was for the longest time, you know, I, I really wasn't getting anywhere. Uh, but did you, did you have a campaign manager? Or I, how, who, who? I did, but uh, 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 Bob Stolper and John Howlett. Oh, okay. And Tom Arnold helped a lot. Nice. You remember Tom Arnold? Very good guy. Good friend of mine. Uh, good. Actually, fr- knew him through my brother George. Uh, they were buddies up at uh, River Forest Country Club. Ileana uh, Financial, right? Yes, Ileana Financial, and he did some business with our firm because we. We bought a lot of forms. So uh, he was mostly supplying the banking industry, uh, mostly, not exclusively. So anyways, Tom Arnold helped, and uh, and John Hallett was my campaign manager. And uh, um, tell you a little kind of negative story. This is even in local politics, this stuff happens. So they tell me, I, I got I to gotta hire a publicist. What, what, I'm sorry, like a publicist? Like you're a celebrity. Well, you know, somebody to, to yeah. write your literature. Yeah. and yeah. PR person. Answer the phone if the press calls. And I, I said, oh, I didn't anticipate that. So I, uh, again, uh, I won't be mentioning names because I think the stories are better that way. Um, I hear about this one guy around town who does this kind of stuff. And I say, he, he doesn't know me from Adam. He said, well, let's meet in the coffee shop and I'll tell you what I'm all about, and we'll see if we can't come to some kind of an agreement. So 
we have this meeting and we talk and I come away from it thinking that guy's he's pretty good. He's got some experience in this stuff and he knows what he's doing. And I call him a week later and say, hey, I, I think I'm ready to make a proposal and let's see if we can't get you on board. And he said, no, I'm already working for the other side. Oh, geez. <laughs> and he basically spilled the whole beans that I, <laughs> I had talked about. So again, that's another reason why I'm not saying the name. So uh, I ended up with uh, D. Longfellow. Oh, yeah. Who at the time was not, I don't, she wasn't working for any newspaper or publication like she is now. But we ended up hitting it off. If you know Dee, she's got a wild sense of humor. Definitely. And she is a funny person, and she just hit my funny bone just right, and we hit it off great. And she learned over, over time, she learned how to, what they call write in my voice. In other words, say things the way I would say them. Sure. And that made things a lot easier, and she kind of understood what I was trying to do. And uh, I still talk to Dee as often as once a month now, 30 years later. Nice. Uh, I really enjoy her uh, her company and her attitude. And So before we move back to, you know, where the question? we were toward the, <laughs> no, toward, the, toward the end of your term, tell us a little bit about how your career – and your serving as mayor may have complemented each other or might have conflicted from time to time. Career, you mean as in my real job? Correct. Okay. That's good question. Not your political career. Now my, I understand. Um, they complemented each other very well. As I almost went down this road 10 minutes ago, was I, I worked for a family business, and I got permission to do this. So they understood early. I said, this is going to take a lot of time. Now, uh, a lot of mayors in suburban Chicago land have trouble with this because basically it's an unpaid job. Now somebody's going to say, Oh no, you do get paid. Yeah, I get paid. I started out at about $5,500 a year. And when I left, it was $8,500 a year, which worked out to cents, you know, cents per hour, cents per hour. Yeah. You don't do it for the money. You don't do it to get rich. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, they knew it and I rarely, I got to the office before 8 every morning, and I left. I used to say I leave at 10, but it was really more like 10.30 or 10.45. So I would get into the office for decades. I was coming into the office at, you know, just before lunch, uh, and I'd catch up real quick on what had happened in the morning, and I'd go to lunch, and then I'd come back, and I basically worked just in the afternoons for the most part. I did not realize until after I was out of office how much I was missing at work at my real job oh yeah and i was missing a lot and that's really kind of what happened and i didn't talk about it at the time but what happened was again a reasonable cousin came to me and said tom you know besides the fact that we kind of think enough is enough it's been 16 years if you want to move up in the company and i did you you need to give us your full attention yeah totally reasonable thing to, to ask it's not you know, a part-time job. No, my company certainly wasn't right, a part-time right, right, job. Right. I had made it a part-time job yeah, yeah. for a good chunk of my career. All in, the mayor thing was 16 years. All in, I worked there for 44 and a half years. A long time. Wow. And, uh, uh, and after that, I went back to work, and it worked out. I ended up getting a couple of promotions over the next, what would it have been, uh, let's say five, six years, and I ended up on our board of directors of the company, which the – Board of Directors elects the officers 
So I was an officer and board of director of the company. And uh, that's kind of as high as you can go in my little family organization. And so that kind of worked out. So for me, a lot of those little pieces that can fall either way tended to fall the right way and allowed me to do it and then called me back when it was an appropriate amount of time. And so, uh, so I announced, when I, when I really finally came to the conclusion that this was going to be my last term, I decided I was going to announce it at some kind of a public event or another. Uh, and the Elmhurst Chamber of Commerce was having a golf outing in, let's call it August. I think it was either July or August. And uh, the lot of the community is there, right? A lot right. of the active people are certainly there. Right. And uh, I thought, well, that would be a good time. And uh, I went out and golfed and shot my usual 110. And uh, <laughs> uh, we had, you know, the little buffet dinner in the little clubhouse afterwards. And John Quigley made a couple of remarks. And I said to John, John, can I say a few words? John Quigley was always very accommodating. He said, oh, yeah, Mayor Marcucci would like to say a good few words. And I basically got to it real quick. I said, folks, I'm so glad to be here today and had a great time out on the course and seeing all you folks who I know through the mayor's office and many of you have become my friends over the years and close associates. But I thought I, I just thought this would be a good time to announce I'm not going to be running again. <laughs> and it was like a bomb went off in the room. <laughs> I don't know if people thought, you know, it's going to stay forever. I've known more than one mayor who said, yeah, it's a four-year. I thought it was a four-year term. I didn't know it was a lifer. Yeah, right. And a lot of guys stay for life. I met a guy very early on. I go to, there's all kinds of mayor associations and groups and things. And the DuPage Mayors and Managers, I believe it was, was hosting a Saturday afternoon lunch for mayors to meet the new mayors because that's part of mentoring the new young people or the new people and give them an opportunity to ask questions about, you know, how did things go and, and uh, you know, I'm, I got this problem in my town or my city. How should I handle it? And it's networking. It's a lot of that kind of stuff, which, by the way, I really enjoyed. Sure. So I sat down next to this fellow, and he introduces himself. It's um, Joe Schmo from Schmoville. And uh, he said, and you are? And I said, I'm Tom Marcucci. I'm uh, Mayor of Elmers. Oh, Mayor of Elmers, that's great. I knew Chuck Erickson. You're, uh, you're his replacement. And I said, yeah, Chuck, uh, Chuck didn't run again, and, and I'm, I ran, and it's great. Oh, so you're brand new. I said, yeah. I said, uh, how long have you been in office? And Mr. Schmo goes, 32 years. Wow. Wow. And my first reaction was, wow. And to be quite frank, I've been very circumspect about saying this from open microphones, but I'll tell you right now, that struck me as a little weird. It, it, it's, I mean, if somebody has that much dedication to their community and willing to give that much. Yeah, it's commendable, for, but change, very, change is good. Very commendable. I mean, you know, and I'm sure he did it for virtually no money, yeah. you know, like most of us. Because he did it because he loved it and he loved this town. But it just kind of it kind of struck me oddball. It just I, I didn't anticipate it. Right. So Steve is, uh, Mayor Steve Morley. Yes. Is six days away from an election. Yes. As we sit here and interview you. Yes, he is. What's going through his mind right now? What's he regretting? What's he looking forward to? Well, it's a huge responsibility being there. You know, it turned out to be a much bigger responsibility than I thought it was going to be. I mean, as you alluded to 
earlier, uh, I was not involved before. I was, as I used to say, right off the street. I will say now, I didn't know what I was getting into to a large degree. And it's not student council. <laughs> On the morning of 9-11, I knew real quick. I mean, I'd already been mayor for 10 years, but it, it was not student council. This is serious stuff. Yeah, You deal with flooding and everything else. So it's a lot, a lot of pressure. Sure. Just in the mayor's office. Then you add to that the fact that you have a job. Steve Morley, and he doesn't talk about this very much, but he talks about it enough that people know. He's self-employed. He has he's he is a business. Right. And he supports his family on that business and on his efforts. And his kids will eventually go to college if they're not in college already. I think his oldest son is going. They're all there. They're there. Yeah, yeah. they're there. Okay. One's already in grad school. Well, see, there you go. Uh and I don't know that. I should know that. I talk to Steve almost, you know, every two or three weeks. But I don't keep track of his kids and the community. Well, he, is- know, he knows what your kids are doing. Because <laughs> oh, <laughs> he reads the police reports? What? <laughs> no, because you tell them. Yeah. Just like, how do you know a guy's from River Forest, remember? Uh, yeah, okay. I do. I do. You're right. I brag about my kids and my grandchildren all the time. It's a badge I wear gratefully. So my point is that he's under a lot of pressure. Sure. And... Uh, and taking care of the family and the business and and the city. So I'm sure he's starting to float a little bit above the ground as the pressure starts to come off. And uh, that, of course, will increase through the day when he hands the gavel over to whomever his successor is. But then it's kind of like, you know, you run through the tape. You got to run. One of the things I did, and I'm sure he's doing it too, is I decided I wasn't just going to relax from that day and in November, August, till the election. I wasn't just going to, like, let dust collect. I, I figured I had to run. Joe Newton told me how to run through the tape. You know, you got to run through that tape. I'm going to finish strong. And I'm sure Mayor Morley is doing the same thing. But then you run through the tape, and it's kind of like, <gasps> oh, yeah. you know, you ever see that look on a guy's face when yeah. he's done with a marathon? Yeah. It's like, oh. You sit down and catch your breath. You sit down and catch your breath, and all of a sudden you're done. And it starts to dawn on you that you're done. And your life starts to look a little different. Like you don't have Did to Did you go say your life or your wife? Your, li- your life. <laughs> L-I-F-E. Life. Because you don't have to go. Well, I meant in a good way. I know. By the way, wives out there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's so much stuff that comes with being. At one time, through the bulk of my time in office, about three years in until about two years leaving, uh, I used to say there are four core weeknights in a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And four of those in a month, right, more or less, right? So that's yeah. 16. I was pre-booked for 12 of those <laughs> out as far as my calendar would go, like five years. I had something to do 12 of those 16 nights at DuPage Mayors and Managers Conference, the DuPage County Water Commission, the Suburban O'Hara Commission, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. It all ends up, and I'm sure Steve has the same calendar. Yeah. And it's it's very very daunting. Now, having said that, I made a point since we're talking about family here a little bit to be home for dinner as much as I could. If I told you I was home for dinner every night, I'd be lying. I wasn't home every night, but I would like that DuPage County Water Commission. Luckily for me, it met in Elmhurst, not in Wheaton. So I could get home from work and have dinner with my kids and say, how'd the day go and what's going on? And then get up and leave at 10 to 7 and be at the dais at 7 o'clock. So that's the kind of way that that usually went. 
Um, there so was no, some- ra- really quick. Raise your hand. Did you ever go home and tell your wife that you hadn't eaten and you had? You no. ate twice. <laughs> no. I had to ask. <laughs> no, it's, when it, when it was a dinner, she knew it was a dinner. The DuPage <laughs> Mayors and Managers Conference meets um, monthly, uh, and the it starts at six o'clock. It's a reception, and it's in a it's in a hotel. So there's a banquet hall, and they set up a little bar in the corner, and uh, so you can go in and have a drink if you want. I. I would have one, you know, because you'd get your drink. And then about a quarter to seven, they'd say, okay, we're going to meet, you know, everybody sit down for dinner now. And uh, uh, one story I, I like to tell, I'm a little freer about it now because um, years have passed. But I, do you remember the movie Star Wars? Sure. Okay, the original one. Episode yeah. four. Yeah. I don't know which yeah, one was it. Was it was. That, that's one. what they now call it. 1976. Something like that. Yeah. So there's a movie, there's a scene in that movie where he goes into a bar and there's all these unusual characters in the bar. Yeah. People that look like octopuses and yep. cone heads and five eyes and that kind of stuff. Kind of an odd sort of collection of people, right? And I walk into this mayor's thing and I thought, this is like the bar in Star Wars. Really? Because mayors are unusual people. Now, by the way, <laughs> I count myself as part of this yes. group of unusual people. Yes. We're just, normal people don't do this. Normal people stay home. Do podcasts. Do podcasts. <laughs> you know, do their work to support their family and spend time with their, with their family. But something drove me. I was a student council geek, as I think I said earlier. I've been involved in student government since I was in sixth grade. It's just what I do. I'm not, you know, I have guys once in a while say, I remember you on the York football team. You were, you were a tight end. I, I never got close to the football field. When I went to a football game at York High School, I was in the stands. You know, so I, that's what I did. That's what I do. And, I, you know, somebody might call it their passion. And I, I guess that's, I don't use that word. It's too strong for me. It's what I like to do. It's your life. And it's my life, and it's who I am. I like to talk, as you guys probably know. Really? Yes, I like to talk. I like to talk to people. I like to change minds if I can. And by the way, I really enjoy it when somebody changes my mind, which happens from time to time. So I have a friend that I went to school with. His name's Julius Caesar. <laughs> and he whispered something in my ear one day. He said, no good emperor grooms a successor. Yes. And I, th- I think about that a lot. And to my knowledge... Mayor Steve Morley is not has not endorsed a candidate for mayor, right. and to my knowledge, you didn't endorse a candidate for mayor when no. you left office. No, I did not. So what? And a lot of presidents leave office and don't endorse a candidate, although some do. So I just wonder what's the thought process behind that? Um, is it just I'm done? I want out. It's not that I'm done. I want out. It's that. First of all, I can't tell you, this sounds like bragging, but so I apologize, but I can't tell you the number of people who called me up and asked me for my endorsement for this race and previous races and aldermanic races and school board races and all this kind of stuff because, oh, Tom, you were the mayor and you, I want your endorsement. I just, for, I don't know how much it even works. I don't know that people care what Tom Marcucci well, don't you think it ties back to the thought that you thought the guy that was mayor for 32 years was there's something wrong with that? 
So you, you, you see within yourself that change is good. Yes, you 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 did a lot of great things for 16 years, but you're open to the idea that somebody else could do things in a different way and contribute in different ways that would be good for the city. Right. It, does, it doesn't have to be 16 more years of... of it doesn't have to be my guy or yeah. what I want, yeah. you know? It, and, and so change is good. Yes. And, and one of my tricks as mayor was... Um, I'll tell you a little sidebar story here. As we go back to that sidebar, Tom, I will. But, but to stay on this point, you know, I, I just didn't think it was my job to endorse anybody. Right. Um, I, that doesn't mean I didn't have a preference or I didn't like... I wanted people, and I still want people, who are like me, who I consider myself to be even-keeled. I came into office. I, I got attracted to the job when people started asking me to run. And, you know, then they want to know, what's your platform? You know, I wanted to make sure I didn't have an axe to grind. And when Alderman came into office to work with me over those 16 years, I liked the people who just showed up and said, hey, I'm here to help what's on the agenda. Right. As opposed to, I ran because I don't like this. Right. Or I don't like that. Or I don't like the real estate property transfer tax, which is something I said when I was running I didn't like. But that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Don't come in with a whole, I mean, to have a, you want to have a program and a platform of things you want to accomplish, but that's a completely different thing than having an ax to grind. One of the things that you learn through mayors and managers is that at one ax to grind aldermen are a real problem, not because they have an ax to grind, but because they only have one. And when that issue is resolved one way or another, now they're there for four years, they don't know what to do. And they generally look for trouble. Because they came in looking for trouble. And, and you know, as Tom Borchard used to say, people make the difference. You know a city council is in trouble when people are arguing about the minutes. You know, re really. I mean, I've seen aldermen who vote against the time of day. I see aldermen who vote against everything. Yeah. Always. Just because they're contrarian. And, and if you confront them about it, they're proud of it. That's... That's who they are. And if you looked on their kindergarten report card, it would say doesn't play well in the sandbox <laughs> yeah. with others, right? That's exactly right. And, you know. It clogs the system. Let's go back to Betsy Aldrin, my worthy opponent when I ran for office. So I get sworn in, and I'm sitting next to her on the council. I think she was right next to me, or one down at least. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, how much trouble is she going to give me? And you know what? She didn't. We didn't agree on everything. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But she didn't go out of her way to give me a hard time because of the election. And I've always respected her for that. She was a great elected official. She's a great lady. And it, you know, it was. It, well, it sounds like she respected the democratic process. Right. Yeah. Which, right. which is um, not necessarily easy to find these days. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. to get back to the question, this gets back to why you don't endorse people when you're leaving. You want to have a relationship with the new guy. And if you endorse the other guy or right, girl, right. then the guy's, you know, he's not going to take your phone call, first right. of all. And then you want to be there for them. You want to be a resource. I told, I've actually told this story recently, that I had a cup of coffee with Morley. And at the time when I first left office and Mayor DeCiani came in, that was very close after when Barack Obama took office in the White House after George Bush. And at some point, some reporter said to Bush, and he repeated this many times over the eight years, you, you agree with Barack Obama on almost nothing. 
and yet you never criticize him. Why is that? He said, because it's not my job to criticize him. It doesn't help a mayor or a president do their job when the last guy is up in the opera box, like the two cranky old men in the Muppets, criticizing or catcalling or heckling. Right. I had my time in office. It's time for me to move off the stage and let the next guy do it. So I told Mayor Morley, I said, I'll never criticize you in public. Even if I don't like what you're doing, I might ask you to have a cup of coffee and talk bend your ear about it, which I never did. I said, but I'll never criticize you in office. Having said that, I'm always there for you. Consider me like a book on a shelf, a, a, a reference book on the shelf in the library. As you walk by that reference book, it doesn't yell at you. It doesn't say, hey, look at me. I got something important to say to you. You know, uh, you know, why don't you pay attention to me? It doesn't do that. It waits for you to pull it off the shelf. And that's what I told Morley. And that's exactly how he put it to him. And DeCiani. He said, that's, I'm there for you. You have my phone number. Call me when you want to. Did you work with all three mayoral candidates for this election? For this one? Yeah. Uh, Alphabetical order. Yes. Bram, Bram Levin, yes, Moliner. Yes. Uh, Morley, I think, was Morley and Levin were relatively new, like maybe only two years. Okay. Uh, I think I got that right. Bram was there for quite a while. I worked with Bram for, he wasn't there all, all the time I was there. But he was there for, um, I would say, most of the time I was. He's been in Alderman a long time. Uh, maybe, I'm going to guess and say maybe 20 years at this point. So, and uh, and and then Morley and Levin were, were more towards the end. The Moliner. Uh, what did I say? Well, you said Morley. Moliner. Oh, thank you. The Moliner. Three, Mark the three Mo- now, Mark, now let's go back. Now, I had Moliner. I had Morley in my head. Moliner and I, Moliner was there almost from day one with me. I've known Mark Moliner since I was at York High School. And I've known him a long, long time. Uh, good guy. Really like Mark. I've always liked Mark. And I, he's a guy that doesn't have a big axe to grind by way of example. You know, so it's all good. So your your 16-year reign is over. We mm. call it a reign. Yeah, it's a little bit of an overstatement. I know you don't like that, but um, how are you feeling two weeks out, a month out, two months out, three months out? You, as I said, you feel like you ran through the tape. And, and, uh, and you know, some people might be there to say, hey, great, you know, you, you did a great job and maybe an applause. Uh, but then pretty soon it dies down and there you are alone. And you do feel a little lonely. More to the point, you feel... Like, you, you can see decisions being made that you don't have input on. And, you know, I, I'd be hard-pressed to come up with a list of five things the city council has done since I left office that I don't like. But what I didn't like was not having the input, not having being able to say, to as I put it, remember, the mayor doesn't have a vote. Unless needed, right? Rarely. Yeah, yeah. I probably only broke... I bet I, I was there 16 years. I bet I didn't break 10 ties. You broke 10 ties and how many arms? Okay. Or legs? <laughs> well, that was, I was said I was going to get back to a story that, 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 uh, I think this is a cute story. This is absolutely true. This particular alderman comes out of nowhere and runs for office. And, uh, day one, I mean, day one, he's, he's in, in my face. All, just all over me. Whatever I want, he doesn't want. And this went on for about a month, and then it started to cool down. And I thought, well, he's finally kind of getting settled in, and it, it's going to be okay. And over the next three or four months, it kind of got better and better and better, you know. 
And finally, he came up to me one night after council. He said, can I talk to you in your office? Said, chambers. In my chambers. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, sure, come on in. So he, he comes in and, he said, and closes the door, which I thought was unusual. And he sits down and he says, boy, you know, I got sold a bill of goods. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, I was recruited to run so that I could be kind of a balance to you and be basically a thorn in your side because we didn't, this group didn't like these different things you're doing. And they found me and said, you know, and I've always wanted to be in public office and it seemed like an opportunity for me to get involved with support from people. And they told me, no, to watch out for you. You're a sneaky guy and you're, you know, you're not to be trusted. And worse than that, you, you will call me up on Saturday night before a Monday meeting and tell me how to vote and if and threaten me, kind of like Andrew Cuomo does today. You know, if you don't vote with me, I'm going to ruin your career and make life miserable for you. He said, I've been here six months. You haven't called me once. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I don't, I don't sidebar. One thing you learn as mayor of the town with 14 aldermen is you can't call. I tried it twice in my first six months. You cannot call 14 people over a weekend. You just can't. Yeah. You, you, you know, you house the kids, what's going on, house the work. But by the time you get to it, you, you're spending a half an hour to an hour with every one of them. That's 14 hours. And if you leave four or five off and the word gets around, you called number one, six, yeah. and eight, and right. then the other guys get mad, and it's, it's, you know, or you just call the girls, you know, it's just, it's just doesn't, it just doesn't work. You have to stake out your policy, let people know what it what is, and, and, and articulate the arguments in support of it and hope it goes your way. Before we take a quick break, I want to ask you one question. Sure. You alluded to something earlier that I think about every once in a while, and that is you mentioned you made your announcement that you weren't going to run again. Yes. At a chamber golf audience yes. where there were a lot of active people in the town. Yes. Elmhurst has 45,000 citizens, give or take right. a thousand. Maybe 35,000 of them are vo of voting age, give or take a few thousand. Um, so my question to you is, how many people are really in the know about what goes on in Elmhurst in terms of government, what makes it work? How many people do you think really help make this town move? That's a great question. Interesting question. I'm going to answer a question that you didn't ask first, which is about right after the election was, and I was no longer the mayor, I'm reading the Elmhurst Press, and they had a, a byline in there, a story in there by a guy who I never saw his name before or after, but he was covering Elmhurst at least that week. And he said that it was really terrible that Mayor Marcucci announced his, res, his, his resignation, not resignation, that he wasn't going to run again at a chamber event. Too cloistered, too close the group. Uh, just the insiders were there, not the public wasn't there. And he thought I should have done it like, I don't know, rented a hall and invited people. So I don't know what he wanted, but he didn't like it. Of course, if you're mayor, you find out that there's somebody that doesn't like everything, right? So I was going to call the guy up and give him a hard time. But again, I don't call people, so I didn't do it. But my point is, to answer your question, there are probably... No more, I would say 700 is a stretch, probably more like four to 500 people who really are the, quote, insiders. And let me say to anybody listening to this now, what, how to get to be an insider is to decide you want to be an insider, yeah. to show up, right. to be present, to be at the ribbon cuttings, to be 
uh, out in and about in the community to welcome new businesses to town, to be a member of the chamber, to be a member of one of the service clubs. We have Lions and Rotary and other and, uh, Kiwanis. Know, Kiwanis, thank you. Uh, Kiwanis and the and the VFW uh, yeah. American Legion. American Legion. We thank you. VFW is gone. gone. That's, I just showed how old I am. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but yeah, all you got to do is is, is participate, is, right? And it's not, it's a not exclusive. Club. It's not exclusion. But it's a bedroom community to a lot of folks. Yes, but that's their choice. But that's their yeah. choice. You yeah. know, so it was a bedroom community to me. I didn't work here, right? And when I went to run for office, by the way, I was not one of those. I'm not a member of the service clubs. I'm not a veteran. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, I started from scratch. People did not know who I was. The word got around town that I had just moved during the first election, that I was new in town. And, uh, and I, I had just moved out from Chicago, which was presented as a negative. He's a Chicago guy. Because nobody knew me. They didn't know who I was. And how old were you when you moved out here? Five? Five. I was yeah. five years old. <laughs> I, I went to kindergarten at IC grade school, which I love to tell people because they go, well, I see girls. That, that, that's not, they don't have a kindergarten. Well, you know what? They did in 1956. <laughs> not now, but they did in a white building, a white frame building behind where the rectory stands today, which was originally built as a replacement convent. But that's another thing. Um, so, really? um, so, you know, you have some history. And, and uh, yeah, people just didn't know who I was. Let me talk about history a little bit before we go to break. One of the things that was a big thing in town was uh, the teardowns, or as I call it, the home replacement program, which I was in favor of then. And I today I'm more convinced than ever it was the right thing to do. But then there were some other people who thought, like, for once, I was actually planning on tearing down the Gloss Mansion to build a condo building there. That kind of stuff got around town. He doesn't like history. He doesn't like history. So I'm being accused by people who don't like my stance relative to history of Elmhurst when I've lived here since I was five years old. Yeah. And they moved in town in the last two or three years. And now, 10 years out of office, most of those people are gone. So, you know, I think that I always felt that I was at least in a defensible position vis-a-vis historical preservation and my attitude towards it, which, by the way... Oh, Elmhurst doesn't care about history. Really? I think now we own six or seven buildings only for historical preservation purposes. Go out and ask some other communities in DuPage County how many buildings they own. Some of them will be able to tell you one. On rare occasion, it's more than one. Very rare of the 43 communities in the county. Uh, So, you know, and their historical department is in a room in the corner of the library where you know, we, we, we do a really great job with that. But I always thought that was interesting that some people would move into town and decide they want to get involved, which is great, which is fine. But they didn't give the quote, I'm going to call myself in this case an old timer or people who grew up here. I mean, everybody's, when you're a citizen, period, you're, you're, you have a right to be heard and you have a right to your opinion. But I don't have the, I'm not required to give it the gravitas that you might want me to. Be here for a generation or two and uh, or a decade or two and maybe i'll listen to you a little harder i think if i were to go back and look for your state of the city addresses i seem to recall you saying you you wouldn't let them tear down the post office you'd chain yourself to it or something like yeah, that. yeah i have a weird thing about that I, and i went on the internet and grabbed five or six of these there's one really good one at the university of illinois champaign urbana there's another one in a town in indiana called elwood in elwood indiana 
they tore down the old high school and built a new high school. A new high school is in a new location. They tore down the entire old high school except left the original front door. Now, not the wood, but the, the brickwork the and then yeah. the, the uh, sandstone pillars, you know, and then the yeah. mantle that said Elwood High School. Yeah. I just am enthralled by that. And most people think I'm a little crazy for this idea, and it probably never happened. But I thought it would be a great idea that post offices from time to time indicated they might want to move. Yeah. So I said, great, we'll buy it, tear the whole building down, except the original front not the addition to the West, but just the original front, which is a very nice piece of architecture. It's five arches, the middle one being the front door, and then the other four being windows, and a nice piece of sandstone across the top, and build a ramp up to what is currently the door, and you would walk into Wild the Park. the gateway to the park. I, would, I remember that. help remind us of all the great times we had in that post office lobby. Waiting you mean, for the friendly folks to service us. You mean hanging on the wall? Yeah. Something like that. On that note, I think we really okay. need a break. We'll be right back. Hey, friends, this is former Elmhurst City Manager Tom Borchert. Hey, and whenever I'm back at Elmhurst, I look up at that Butterfield Park water tower, and I am so thankful I wasn't the one who gave him the keys to get up there. And now here's Rick with another edition of Standing on My Heavily Reinforced Soapbox. Lately, I've been hearing a whole lot about this instant pot craze. People say it gets the job done a lot quicker than the regular pot. They use all these code words to throw us off. They use terms like baked and fried. So those of us that overhear them think they're talking about making dinner or something. But I'm on to them. They can't fool old Rick. I'm guessing you listeners are on to them as well. Now, I have never taken any illegal drugs, and I don't know anything about them. I'm not familiar with that whole culture, but friends, they are talking about cannabis, marijuana, weed, ganja, grass, Rick, tea, Rick, 420. Rick, Rick, Robbie, Rick, Robbie Rick, I'm not wait, finished. Wait, Just wait. you got to let me finish. So I'm in line at the supermarket last week, and there are two ladies in front of me, and I hear them talking about how great this instant pot is. One lady is actually telling the other lady about how much faster the instant pot works. And how it helps her relax. She's going on and on about it. She tells the other lady how hungry she gets with this Instant Pot. These ladies are exchanging suggestions about what to add. Onion, herb, you get the picture. In the grocery store. Do people have no shame? For the love of Bob Marley, this stuff is illegal. They are in line at the Elmhurst Mariano's, not the Denver Doobie Dispensary. Come on. Yo, Rick, Rick, wait. Hang on. Robbie, Robbie, I'm not finished yet. Just let me finish. But that's not the real story. These ladies at the grocery store aren't the only ones I've heard talking about this instant pot. Lowdown listeners, I want you to listen very carefully. This past weekend, I couldn't believe my ears. Who of all people is absolutely obsessed with this instant pot? You'll never guess. None other than our own Mayor Morley. Or, as I now refer to him, Spliffy Steve. He can't stop recommending this instant pot to everybody he encounters. He gets this little glimmer in his eyes. And, well, actually, I think it's more of a glassy-eyed look when he talks about his beloved pot. When will this end? Even our elected officials wait, are wait. addicted. you, you got to stop. Robbie, you, you Robbie, stop. just really? let me finish. Just I'm almost a- finished, Robbie. People of Elmhurst, we must put a stop to this now. You need to write your Elmhurst elected officials and demand they put an end to this nefarious practice immediately. No matter who you decide to write, 
copies Alderman Kevin York. I've never met a pot smoker who wears tight bicycle shorts. Drop what you are doing. Write that letter now. As always, I stand tall on my heavily reinforced soapbox to protect the good people of Elmhurst from the evil that lurks within. Good day. Are you finished, Rick? Yes. The instant pots everyone is talking about are crock pots. Crock pots have traditionally been slow cookers, but the new instant pots cook the food much quicker. They use heat and pressure to cook the food evenly, but in much less time than a traditional crock pot. Mayor Morley uses his instant pot several times each week to prepare delicious and nutritious meals for his family. So he's not getting high in the hot tub with Alderman Kennedy? No. It's just a crock pot? Yes. Oh, well, never mind then. This is Mary Beth Harper, director of the Elmhurst Public Library, and you're listening to the E-Town Lowdown with your hosts, Robbie and Rick. But PK is the one with all the talent. Back here in the COVID-free hot tub with my favorite segment, the E-Town Lowdown Mowdown, where we mow down our special guest, who tonight is former Mayor Tom Marcucci to his very core. You ready for this, Tom? I don't know if you can really get ready for this, so <laughs> this just is, sit back. These I'll, are some, do, I'll do the best I can. These are some tough questions. You ready? Right. Yes, sir. Richard M. Daly or Richard J. Daly? Uh, M. York football game or York basketball game? Basketball games were fun to watch, man. We packed that, that gym. It was a hoot. Favorite pizza place in Elmhurst? Roberto's. Chapin's Sporting Goods? Or the record gallery. Oh, tough. That's. I'm gonna go with the record gallery. Morning or evening? Evening. Bailey's or Stephen's Steakhouse? Bailey's. Brynhaven or Crescent Park? Brynhaven. Your roots. My roots. Elm Roller Rink or Sky High Driving? Sky High Driving. First record album. <sighs> Would you believe I have never bought a record album in my life? Really? Yeah, never. I'm just not a music guy. Favorite sandwich? <laughs> Italian beef with sweet peppers. Nice. Dry. From Johnny's? Johnny's on occasion. I, I uh, you know, I get, Al's is good. Uh, Portillo's, Portillo's, Portillo's right Portillo's here in our got, backyard. Portillo's got a very good beef. Mickey's hot dogs over there? Uh, uh, from time to time. I like Mickey's. Mickey's is cool. Yeah. Bulldogs or Dukes? Uh, Dukes. Again, your roots. Uh, Butterfield, Water Tower, or Barron's Water Tower? Uh, Butterfield. Invisibility or Super Strength? Invisibility. Red wine or white wine? Red. EJ Corvettes or Sukup's Hardware? Sukup's. Ah. Excellent. Love me a little soup cups. Uh, favorite cocktail? I have a, a scotch. I have an affinity for scotch on the rocks. Sun Times or Tribune? Trip. Italy or Ireland? Italy. Spock or Scotty? Uh, Spock. Marcucci Avenue or Marcucci, Illinois? <laughs> I, I don't even understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> Too humble. <laughs> Uh, all of the above. Is that allowed? I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah, allowed. Yeah. Lake water or well water? Lake water. Absolutely. Bensonville or Villa Park? 
Oh, I can't answer that. That's not appropriate for a mayor to answer that. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Uh, PK, fi- you're up. Yeah, fiction or nonfiction? Uh, nonfiction. Italian or ciabatta rolls? Uh, ciabatta rolls. Marianne or ginger? It's kind of always more Marianne. Wrong. Want to guess again? I'm sorry? You want to guess again? Wait a minute. Uh, Wrong answer. I just noticed you change your answer all the time. No, no. You said Marianne. Ginger's the right answer. (laughs) All right. I didn't know this was being I've never changed my answer. Okay. Favorite favorite color? uh, Navy blue. A man that knows his favorite color. Impressive. Uh, ele- right. Elevator or stairs? <laughs> One story, uh, stairs. <laughs> Skunks or coyotes? Uh, coyotes. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Hank's Corner or Hamburger Heaven? Hamburger Heaven. Fallon or Kimmel? Neither. Golf or tennis? Golf, although I'm terrible at it. But Paperback or hardcover? Hardcover. Last two questions, Rubies or Leonard's? Leonard's. I worked at Leonard's. Nice. Chicken or fish? Uh, fish. You missed two. I did? Yeah. You know one of them. So I'm not going to tell you the other one. Oh, okay. So that's like what? Is that like a B plus or an A minus? That's like a C plus. Oh, no. It's passing. Oh, oh. I don't want it to go to your head. I, I mean, it was, a, it was a decent grade. I don't have to go to like detention after... No, no, no. We'll take another quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jack Island of the Silverado Grill. My definition of a great evening is yoga, Maryland crab cakes, and eat down lowdown with Robbie, Rick, and PK. Well, yoga and crab cakes. And now it's time for another installment of One Ponce a Time with lowdown legend PK and his overly enthused yesteryear expert friend, Elmhurst History Museum director, Dave Oberg. Hey, boys and girls. Did you know that one pot at a time, Elmhurst was home to one of Illinois' premier roller skating rinks? From 1956 to 1989, the Elm Roller Rink sign, a giant roller skate, beckoned avid skaters from Chicago and the suburbs. With its state-of-the-art 20,000-square-foot hard maple floor, the Elm was one of Chicagoland's biggest rinks, a massive pipe organ played by talented musicians such as Tony Talman and Paul Swiderski set the tempo for casual skaters and competitive members of the Elm Skate Club. All right, so let's dig a little deeper. So roller skating dates back to the 19th century, but its heyday came in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. In mid-century America, roller skating was the nation's number one participatory sport, and avid skaters actually called themselves rink rats. Now, Chicago is the epicenter of the movement, and popular rinks like the Armory, the White Palace, and the Riverview Rink were just a quick train ride away. But as the suburbs grew, skating rinks moved west, and none could hold a candle to the elm. When Bill and Lynn Fuchs built the elm, they invested in a state-of-the-art hard maple floor with layers of sound-deadening material beneath. This greatly reduced noise and gave skaters a smooth surface upon which to perform, aided by a fine coat of rosin. They also invested in a custom 1,000-pipe Wurlitzer organ the size of a double-wide garage, which was suspended above the floor. The master of the organ was Tony Tallman, 
who treated the world sort of the way a car enthusiast might treat a high-performance automobile. He constantly tinkered with and customized the organ, turning it into a one-of-a-kind instrument. Tallman provided the tempo for casual and competitive skaters for more than two decades. And one aficionado would note, you didn't just hear the music, you could feel it. Skate guards kept decorum, and skaters often dressed in elaborate costumes, performed complex artistic and dance routines. Now, the Elm was the incubator for several generations of very talented competitive skaters. Members of the Elm Skate Club participated in artistic dance and speed skating competitions sanctioned by the Roller Skate Rink Owners Association. The Elm Skate Club led its division for six years with a bumper crop of highly skilled athletic performers. In the late 60s and early 70s, roller rinks began to see a decline in attendance, but disco brought them roaring back to life. With its lush sound and four on the floor beat, disco proved very well suited to skate dancing and a new craze began. The craze ended with the 70s. Events like the infamous disco demolition heralded not only the end of the music, but the end of the rinks themselves. In the 1980s, attendance began to decline. The rinks were large and very difficult to maintain. Liability insurance proved harder and harder to get for a pastime that involved more than a few falls, bumps, bruises, and the occasional more serious injury. Now, the Elm temporarily closed in 1985 when it looked like the owners wouldn't be able to get liability insurance and reopened again for a few years, but in 1989, it closed its famous green doors for the last time. Today, only a handful of rinks still dot the landscape in Chicago and the suburbs, but any good skater who experienced the Elm in its heyday will tell you that none of them could hold a candle to our beloved rink. I'll say... Dave, I mean, I remember uh, skidding a few knees there, and I love that place. It was right by the miniature golf, the bowling alley, and Dispenses Kitty Kingdom. That was like a whole entertainment campus over there. Uh, it sounds, that sounds great. You know, I was lucky enough, uh, uh, they, um, uh, Lex Lexington Square is where uh, uh, the Elm used to be, and they actually dedicated a tree uh, to Lynn Fuchs, um, uh, who's in residence there, uh, just shy of her 100th birthday, actually. Oh, nice. And doesn't the museum have an a exhibit coming on about this? Or, I'm sorry, it's a, a, a webcast or something, right? So, yeah, we're, um, we, uh, uh, we're, we're doing a whole series of mini documentaries. These are kind of three and four minute shorts with a lot of historic footage. Uh, we've got interviews with this particular one we're about to do. And so we're going to give a short history of the Elm. And with that, you're going to get to actually hear from some of the folks that skated there in the heyday and see a lot of really cool rare pictures. So we're doing about one of these a week right now. That sounds like a lot of fun, especially for some of the people that spent some time there when they were growing up. Yeah, I wish I had seen it. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Hello, Pete Kruger here from the Elmhurst Independent Newspaper. When I want a good laugh, I listen to E-Town Lowdown, even though Rick, Robbie, and PK podcast from a hot tub, they're three cool dudes. Back here in the Lowdown Hot Tub with our special guest, Tom Marcucci. Tom, uh, kind of taking up where we left off. So we've got this election coming up next week. Council's going to change. Mayor's definitely going to change. Council, maybe not as much. But what did you glean from the times the council changed? Or looking back, maybe after you left, how did things change when the mayor changed? Did the tenor of the meetings change? What, what really changes when the council changes? Well, you know, every two years, there's an election for alderman. 
not every four, right? Right. Which, by the way, I think was really great. Every once in a while, I'd say to some other mayor, you know, how many guys? We, we have 14. They go, oh, my gosh, how can you handle 14? And my answer was, I, I think the Elmhurst system is high night perfect. And I'll give you a couple of reasons why. One, if some event is carrying the town away, and over my time in office, there were different political, I'll call them tsunamis that came around. They usually have a shelf life of about a year to two years. And then it it's either gets resolved or it's gone. And if you change the whole council over at the same time, every four years, you could go from a pretty even-keeled group to something that's only focused on, as I discussed earlier, the one issue, being a one-issue right. alderman. Then you'd have a one-issue council. So the way we do it with two aldermen per ward every other yeah. alternating right. cycles the, t- the town can't get swept away by some temporary issue. Now, some of these issues are important, so I don't want to make light of the issues, but it, they come and they go. And so I think that that is a really uh, good thing to do. And, and we have a senior uh, alderman and a, and, a, and a newer alderman. And so there's always an opportunity to hand down experience. So a new alderman can turn to the alderman next to him, who's maybe been there 12 years, and say, Hey, I don't understand. I don't, I'm not. What, what is this about? I'm not following this, and I, I've actually seen that. Well, and even the structure with having a mayor who's the figurehead and a city manager mm-hmm. seems like a great combination. I, I object to the term figurehead. <laughs> well, okay, head, I get your drift. The mayor no, doesn't have. Let a me vote. let me call you the You're, head cheerleader. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and then. <laughs> And then, uh, but then a city manager, that, because there are towns where it's a, you know, the mayor is a full-time job and he's the and he's city really manager. Boss, right. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and, and you, I think what, what you, or our city of Elmhurst has is a, a nice blend. Well, certainly in the city manager process, I yeah. think that um, not only was Elmhurst, well, I would say to people, people say to me, oh, you were a great mayor, you know, that's wonderful. And I was a great mayor because Tom Borchard was probably the finest city manager maybe in the country. And that's a very strong statement. But my last four years there, he was being recruited. He was he was deflecting calls almost from coast to coast. That man knew what he was doing. Right. And he was very even keeled. He was very knowledgeable. He's an engineer. I mean, it was great. And we settled in this thing early on that I was going to be the idea guy and he was going to make it happen. Right. And he was also a restraint for me because I'd come up with some goofy ideas once in a while. And he'd tell me no. And he wasn't afraid to tell me no. Right. And so it just really, really, really worked out. The other thing about uh, uh, the Elmhurst City Council is it's 14. So if you, I would talk to mayors, you know, oh, how'd your election go? Oh, it's terrible. Why? Well, we have this guy ran and he's just nuts. He's a one-issue guy, and he's against everything, and he wants to upset the apple cart, and he wants to fire the city attorney, and you know all this stuff that goes on, which is a real problem in some communities in the suburban Chicago area because they only have five aldermen. Right, right, right. So if you only so have twenty percent, he's twenty. The 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 I don't want to call him a nut. I mean, yeah. it doesn't deserve to be called a nut, but the odd man out, let's put it that way, is twenty percent of the votes. Right. Where in Elmhurst, if you have one alderman that votes against stuff all the time, it's only one fourteenth of the vote. Right. Now, I don't know what the math is there, guys. Help me out, but it's like seven percent or something. But I guess in a small community, it's hard to get fourteen people. To oh, absolutely. Here, right? It's absolutely. It's much harder. That's one thing people don't realize. It's hard 
to fill these positions. Right. We, you have to, one of, part of the job of the mayor that I didn't realize was part of the job of the mayor is to go out and try to get people to run for office and help encourage them and tell them it's not going to be so bad. And, you know, you mean lie to them? It's, it, you lie to them. It's, <laughs> it's not going to take up as much time as you think it's going to. And it, it'll be okay. And I, I, and I hope you enjoy it. So you don't like the f- title figurehead? Or the the reference figurehead. Yes. Yeah. What 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 reference would you prefer? Your Excellency. I really mm. custom. Mm. No. This is the first time you've not been humble the whole night. That's a joke. No, I know. I know. So <laughs> as a as a related, I like the term mayor. I really am comfortable with the term mayor. I think that that says what the job is and what my role in the city government is. And I really, I quite frankly, I grew to enjoy the term mayor. As it relates to um, running a meeting, Mm -hmm. which is only a small part of what the mayor does, Mm, um, what was the learning curve on running a meeting for you, and what might it be for somebody else who hasn't done that before? Well, um, I told you already I'm a student council geek, right? So I've been going to meetings since I was in sixth grade. It's kind of a long story why, but I took a test and became a registered parliamentarian in the state of Illinois when I was 17 years old. Also, oh, it was old hat for you. So it was pretty much old hat for me. I, it's I knew you it. and you and John Quigley. Yeah, I, <laughs> I knew it. I knew that that pretty much cold. Uh, and then the another thing about the meeting was, which actually I got to say, that's pretty awesome. I mean, because to to give that kind of structure to a meeting yeah. is so valuable that oh, yeah. so many people don't. Point, point of order, you're out of order. Yes, right. Oh, yeah. but, but no, I I, I think that's an incredible skill for those listeners out there that are thinking about getting into this. Yeah, Robert's Rules of Orders and gives order to something that would otherwise be chaos. Right. And uh, uh, and I enjoyed it, and I was good at it, and uh, because I've been using it for even 20 years before I was mayor. And on some occasions, it came in really handy because I knew, you know, what motion should be discussed next uh, the motion to defer or the motion to adjourn, and some other person on the dais was trying to look it up in their book, right? which is 190 pages. Could you clarify, call the question for me? Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> Do you really want me to? <laughs> no, no, it's okay. <laughs> but it is interesting because it's different than most people think. Yeah. But yeah. in some of the motions, they're like nested motions, a motion within a motion, Yeah, right? absolutely right. Yeah, right. And, you, and you have to know the priority in which you knock them down, and you got to keep to that priority. Right. And the other one was... Um, well, I'm thinking here. Do I, yeah, it's t- I've been out of office 10 years. I can tell you a parliamentary trick that I used. Please do. Uh, and some people might not like this, but it's the truth. So, Roberts is flipping over in his grave yeah, right now. No, no, yeah. I was following Robert's Rules of Orders. Okay. Robert's Rules of Orders says, like, uh, okay, do you want to vote to change the pop in the machine from Coke to Pepsi? So you have that debate. And then you go, okay, so call the previous question. We're going to, okay. Clerk, please call the roll. I, nay, I. The fourth alderman to speak says, well, you know, I think we really ought to consider 7-Up. You're out of order. Once the voting starts, you cannot no more discussion. your vote. No more discussion. Yes. You can't say I'm going to vote yes because or I'm going to vote no because. Right. So I would work with the city clerk that said when I say call the roll, I want you to say the first alderman's name just like that. Patty Spencer. Patty Spencer. She had your back. She had my back. And and uh, 
Uh, God because, rest her soul. Because at some point, God rest her soul. She was great. I, I loved her, and she she was a very nice lady. Yes, and she was very good to me, and she was very helpful. And I, I you know, she she didn't know the job either. Like I didn't know the job. Yeah. You come in, you don't know the job. Right. So you know, we helped her and brought her along, and it was great. And her husband Byron. Uh, so very nice people. So, yes. anyways, that was one thing that if I was using Robert's rules of orders to my advantage, that's the prime example, because you know, we're not going to hear have a whole other go around, right? Of what and and the other thing is, once you cut off debate, it it debate grows like a tree grows. It, it's got branches and right. Every, you got anything else to say, Alderman B? No, I, I'm fine. Blah blah blah. Okay, but then somebody else says something, and Alderman B gets an idea that yeah. he wants to fill in or elucidate or expand on that idea. So you, once right. you cut it off, it's off. Do you ever call the question at home? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Great. No more debate, Mimi. No, no more debate. No, we've learned that uh, first of all, that Mimi is not a person that's accustomed to being cut off. <laughs> I was going to say, has has the question ever been called? On you? Uh, no. <laughs> Not that I can think of. Sounds like a wonderful partnership. So do you have any words of wisdom for the new mayor as it relates to parliamentary procedure? And I know a, a couple of the candidates at least have a little bit of experience leading city council, but do you have well you know, some advice for them? Yeah, read the book. Get us familiar with it. It is like some of the books are really uh, 200 pages long. I had a pamphlet which about five years ago I had a reason for trying to find that pamphlet online. I couldn't find it. But it was one of those things with the little plastic binder ring yeah. like on the end. And when you opened it up to the middle, it was tabbed, and you yeah. could see all the different kind of motions right away on either side. And I had that on the dais every night for 16 years. Uh, and uh, uh, so you, you, if, you, if you're completely – well, we're, all the candidates running for – mayor right now are on the uh council. council already so i was going to see if you're completely clueless learn get the book and read it but right none of them are completely clueless so i don't think that's that should be much of a problem which is often the problem is you get a new alderman who doesn't know anything about all robert's rules and they keep on stepping on it yeah. you know they don't know where the landmines are right and and you don't want to be critical or if you say well alderman that's out of order because of yada 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 that looks like you're being you're kind of looking down your nose at them or right. calling them out in public. And that's never a good idea. So even if you're running for alderman or the school board or the park district, right. and you are totally unfamiliar with Robert's Rules of Orders, you ought to learn because it's in your bylaws, or in our case, our ordinances, that that's how we run the meeting. Any words of wisdom for the new mayor as it relates to how they interact with staff? First of all, staff doesn't work for you. They work for the city manager. That's a great question. In Actually, about that, the the woman that laughed at you running for mayor, right? You obviously worked with her once you started. Yeah. Did you tease her about that? No, never. No, oh, come on, you a little it, teasing. No, no, I, I didn't. Uh, hey, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm back. No, I never, I never mentioned it to her. As a matter of fact, that's cute. Uh, it would have be. I, her, I mean, her response was yeah. totally normal. Yeah, right. And you know, so that that was fine. But that that's a very important thing about how you relate to staff. It's totally inappropriate for a mayor, much less an alderman, to go into an office like the accounts receivable office and start pointing your finger at the staff person there that's just working and trying to do their job. Right. They don't report to you. 
They report to the city manager and up through the structure between them and the city manager. And I would hear real horror stories when I was in mayors and managers about different aldermen in some town or another that did something like that. And it, it's really inappropriate. You do not. Now, that doesn't mean you can't talk to staff. Sure. Particularly if you're just going to ask a question. Like one of my constituents asked, when do the car stickers have to be on the windows? Well, okay, that's a question. You can ask the question. It's not, you know. But to go in and say to that person, why did it start, you know, no. You, and, and that goes for the uh, public safety people as well, the police and the, and the firemen and the guys on the trucks, you know, the, the guys driving the snowplow. For an alderman, you hear about this in Chicago all the time. Well, I think it's just built into their system. For an alderman in Elmhurst to flag down a snowplow truck and say, hey, you got to go do this street, is, I don't think it's illegal, but it's really, Crazy. really inappropriate. Actually, and how many times did somebody ask you to uh, get involved in their uh, parking ticket or speeding ticket or something like that? From time to time. Yeah. Yeah, from time it's to time. It's awkward, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is awkward. Yeah, For those listeners out there, it's not he, he's not the <laughs> the mayor's not the guy to talk to about. All right, so I'm telling stories tonight. I'll tell you, I try to keep this. Good. Yeah, yeah, this is good. you gotta have a fun one. I get a I get a call from a guy I went to grade school with. I haven't heard from him in ten years. Hey Tom, how you doing? I'm fine, fine. How are you? Oh, I'm great, great. Listen, I I did something kind of bad today. Maybe I shouldn't have done it. So what did you do? He was in downtown Elmhurst. He parked his car illegally across a curb cut in downtown, across an alley, like, right? Yeah. And there was a delivery truck that had to get out, and he didn't come back for 10 minutes, so they called the police. 10 and 15 more minutes went by. Now he's there half an hour, the car's unattended. They call the tow truck, they tow him. He goes to the police station, says, somebody stole my, my car. car. They go, it didn't get stolen. It's at so-and-so's, uh, they, they towed it to the city pound. He calls this towing company and he says, he starts swearing at him like a good start, like a sailor. <laughs> How dare you tow my car? That's, you know, blah, 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 blah. I was only in the building for a minute. Yeah. It was at least a half an hour. And he says, and I am the, he used a swear word, the effing mayor, and you better get my car back here right away. Oh, wait, this guy's a mayor in another town? No, he's a guy that lives in Elmhurst. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, actually, I don't think he even lives in Elmhurst at the time. But he just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he tells the guy, you better get my car back here right away, uh, or there's going to be heck to pay, and yeah. you're going to lose your contract with us, and blah, 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 blah. So the guy's smart enough. He hangs up. He calls City Hall. He gets Dorothy Schmidtke on the phone, because remember, Besides Tom Borchardt, Dorothy Schmidtke really ran the town for a long time. And they go, Dorothy, I got this call. Is is the mayor in? No. Where is he? He's at work. Where does he work? He works just outside of downtown Chicago. Oh, well, I got this call. Well, it turned out to be this guy. Yeah. So, you know, just a goofy. 16 years, guys, I got a lot of goofy stories. Yeah. So you mentioned not, you know, the mayor shouldn't really be telling staff what to do, interacting on a regular basis. How about the city manager? Any advice for the new mayor and how they should interact with the new city or with the city manager, not the new city manager? He's been there for a decade now, by the way. Yeah, I know. I said to that to him just the other day. So when you first came here, you weren't Elmhurst, and now you are. And uh, he, I meant it. It's a nice a, compliment. Uh, and that's the way I meant it, and that's the way he took it. I think he's doing a great job. Uh 
the city manager is absolutely critical to your success. And as Gorbachev said to Reagan and Reykjavik when they were trying to get the nukes down, Reagan goes to him, so when do you think you guys are going to be able to start deactivating some of these silos? And he said, oh, you don't take... I'm sorry, you misunderstand. You think I run the country. I don't run the country. The bureaucrats run the country. I'll <laughs> let you know. That's a real quote or thereabouts. Huh. Uh, and so my point is that you have to work with the city manager. And I like Tom Borchard from day one, and I don't know if he liked me from day one. Maybe I just grew on him. I don't know. But it's, it is true that we got along pretty darn famously. And uh, now he you can talk to. You've got to tell him what you want and because you want his support for this. or you got, And he needs to tell you what you can't have. And, and, and what he wants and what he needs from you, you know, and I'm going to make something up here just to give you the flavor of it. We got to give a raise to the crossing guards because they're about to strike and, you know, we need to give them a 5% raise. Now, you don't know that unless the city manager tells you. So you have to have a very uh, open channel back and forth between that city manager. And that's why I met with Tom. Me and Tom and Borchard would sit across the desk from each other and talk for nearly two solid hours Every morning. That's hmm. what I was doing in City Hall, hmm. talking to Tom Borchard. And he was getting me up to speed on the events of the day and vice versa. I never – and I don't like surprises. He figured that out early on. I do not like surprises. And I assume other people don't either. So I would always let him know what I was thinking and where it was going or what, what I thought of some development around town. And we were pretty much in sync. So as much as a good mayor likes – a good city manager, a good city manager likes a good mayor. Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. Because you imagine their job, if they've been there for 10 years or 20 years or whatever it is, they got to retrain the mayor? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I've, I've put those words in Tom Borchardt's mind. You never said them out loud, but I remember him saying, I remember me saying about Tom Borchardt, I got to deal with these new guys every four years. <laughs> this guy doesn't even know his way around the building. Yeah. You know, and I got to show him where the, you know, Tom, uh, before we start this first meeting on this first morning, where's the bathroom? I mean, you know, it could be that you could be that far out of it. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that's a, a, a real point I'd like to convey to you guys tonight is when I ran for mayor, I had no idea what I, I had some general things I wanted to do. I wanted to be a good guy. I wanted yeah. to get the council to work together. I wanted us to build consensus and all that's kind of up in the cloud, right? But the nuts and bolts of the job are, you got to go to the O'Hara Suburban O'Hara Commission meeting next Thursday night, and it's at seven o'clock, and you got to be there because you got to represent Elmers because there's at least a half of the town is losing sleep every night because of the airplanes. Which, by the way, I didn't know anything about. I grew up in Brinhaven, right up against the interst- a double interstate right away, the portal to what was at one time the world's largest freight yard, and two point two miles off the end of the runway, that southward angled runway. I mean. Yeah. You know, I went to college in Iowa. I couldn't sleep. It was too quiet. <laughs> so. so what do you think are the most important characteristics of a good mayor listening, in a town like us? Listening. And, and, uh, and, and when you listen to people, you hear what their problem is. Or if, you don't have to listen to the people who agree with you. You have to listen to the people who don't agree with you. Because you need to find... Uh, what their issue is. A lot of times when they disagree with you on item 22 on the agenda, it's not item 22. They really got some other problem. Right. And if you listen close, you can kind of figure that out and start to address that. And all of a sudden the problem with item 22 goes away. And 
that this isn't exactly a question about listening to people, but the other thing I pledged going into office was we're going to solve this, this discontent on the council by putting a neutral party in the chair. Everybody's going to be listened to. Everybody's going to get recognized. I'm going to be as fair as I can about recognizing people in a haphazard order. And we're going to work together and everything's... And by the way, the council, almost to my surprise at the time, accepted that proposition in spades. We got a new guy. We're going to start with a clean slate. We're going to work together. It's going to be great. So you have to, you have to listen to people. Much of the stuff that we did was not like my idea that I shoved down the council's throat. Um, when the townhouses went up on Large Street, you know, some people, a group of citizens came over, wanted to meet the mayor, and were complaining that I was building townhouses on Large Street. Well, okay, I can see how they can come to that conclusion, but the townhouses were allowed by the zoning, which was originally passed in 1923 and amended like in 1965 when I was in high school. So it wasn't my idea. It was, you know, so, so rather than getting mad at them and throwing them out of the office, you have to like listen to it and then try to address it and explain why it's the way it's, it is. Right. You know, and, and, uh, and by the way, one of the people that really objected to the townhouses on the east side of Large Street about three years later bumped into me after they were up and said, oh, that's the best thing that ever happened to our neighborhood. Yeah, we just bought said, one. Oh, you did? On large? No, no, I'm saying they, uh, they, they, they said that. No, yeah, yeah. it was interesting. They go, I go, oh, really, why? And her answer completely surprised me, but it makes all the sense in the world. Well, before it was single-family homes. So it was a ho- it was a you know a house about 30 feet wide and then 10 feet of yeah. open air and then yeah. 30 feet wide. and So it was almost like a, like a sawtooth, I think they call it. Yeah. Right? It was open. When they built the townhouses, they closed all those gaps. Yeah. So... The, the sound of the grocery truck unloading at the A&P grocery store <laughs> was not coming through and waking them up at 4 o'clock in the morning anymore. Really, really. So, I mean, there's all kinds of little nuances like that that happen. And that's the idea when they put that in the code in the, in the zoning map in 1965 was to build a buffer around downtown Elmhurst so that single-family homes were not hard up against businesses any more than they had to be. Yeah. I don't think you'll find it a surprise to know that a lot of people thought that you might have aspirations politically beyond Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mayor of Elmhurst. Mm -hmm. And so my question is multiple prong Mm -hmm. pronged. And I think you'll have no problem with this one. Do you think maybe Steve Morley's feeling the same thing that he might have aspirations down the line and how difficult would it be to go from being a big fish in a small pond mm-hmm. to a small fish in a big pond as a rep or a senator or something like that? Boy, there's a lot of different questions there. Let me try yeah. to answer them as quickly order as I can. When I first ran for mayor, I, it never crossed my mind to run for, quote, higher office. Um, two or three or four years in, people started saying, oh, you ought to run for higher office. But a lot of the people who were in these higher offices were friends of mine. I had become acquainted. Dan Cronin, I've known since I was a kid. Lee Daniels, I didn't know at all. The day I had sworn in, I had never met him, which is kind of remarkable looking back. But I, I, was I going to run against Lee Daniels? I don't think so. That was a, a because A, I couldn't win, and B, I really liked the man. Yeah. 
And I thought he did a great job for Elmhurst. And by the way, the same for Henry Hyde. Now, the truth of the matter is I was an announced candidate for Congress for about three days hmm. and had scheduled my public announcement on the steps of Wilder Mansion for a Wednesday, and I got a call on Monday morning that really kind of blew it up. Uh, and um, I don't know how much farther down the road I want to go into this, but... Um, uh, oh, please do. Yeah, Wait, you mean, you mean family stuff? No, it wasn't oh. family stuff. Oh. It was Henry Hyde. For People were saying, well, why did you run for Congress? You'd be great for Congress. Henry Hyde is our congressman. Yeah. He's one of the most influential, powerful congressmen in Washington, which means he can get stuff done for us. Yeah. And and that's a reason right there not to run against him. Two, I personally like the man. And three, I couldn't have beat him with a stick. I mean, there was just no way. So he announced he wasn't going to uh, run again. And I went to him and said, you know, I heard this, and I'm considering running for office. And if you think there's any reason why I shouldn't run for that seat in Congress, then I won't. And he said, oh, no, it would be wonderful. And I think you'd be really good at it. He did not endorse me. Well... Then the word got out that he had endorsed somebody else, which, quite oh. frankly, was a huge shock to me. And uh, and it, whether I was happy with it or not is irrelevant. It, I was not going to run against a Henry Hyde endorsed candidate. Gotcha. So I I, uh, I did not have my announcement. So that's that. Is Steve Morley thinking about running for higher office right now? I think Steve Morley's thinking about running for the door. <laughs> I, I think that he's really, you know, like I said before, there's a big difference between me and Steve in our personal business life in that he it, runs his own business. Yeah, he had a tough year, too. And, Holy mackerel. Yeah, and a he had pandemic a pandemic and all that you stuff. Know, yes. A lot, a lot of stress. Yeah. And nobody sends him a check every month just for the fun of it. He's right. going to go out and earn a living. Yeah. And I think that's going to be his focus. Now, I think he enjoyed public life. And maybe when his kids get a little older or somehow the stress level goes down or if you can hire somebody to, to actually run the day-to-day operation in his business, et cetera. I'm speculating here. But I wouldn't be surprised if I heard one day that Steve Morley was going to run for higher office, you know. So well, he wore it well, and uh, I, he, I would imagine he could go on if he wanted to, but uh, who are we to judge, right? Well, that's right. I, I think yeah. he could go on. I think he's totally qualified. I yeah. think Steve did a fabulous job. People would ask me all the time, what do you think of the mayor? You know, and they're actually <laughs> – Poking you to see if you're going to criticize him. Yeah, right. And I never did because there's no reason to. I think I think he's doing a great job. Yeah. Uh, I think downtown Elmhurst looks great. I think what Mayor DeCiani did with the North Avenue TIF, uh, I'm sorry, the North York Road TIF, which brought us Mariano's and all of that development up there, fabulous. Uh, uh, so we've had good we've had good mayors in my humble. It's only my opinion. It's not yeah. a fact, but I think. The mayor, since I've been out of office, have done a very, including, uh, you know, all of them have done a great job. So, did you have any political mentors while you were in office? Lee and how, Daniels. How important was that to you, and how important might it be for a future mayor to have such a mentor? Well, it's very important because, as I said several times now, I didn't know what I was doing on day one, and that included the politics and uh, and how to handle myself, and particularly in Springfield. Uh, I got down in Springfield and I found out that the mayor of Elmhurst, not me, not Tom Marcucci, but the mayor of Elmhurst was an important mayor in the state of Illinois because Lee Daniels lived here and Pate Phillips lived here. And uh-huh. one was the speaker for a period of time, the speaker of the House, a Republican leader in the House. And the other one was the Senate president. And together, that is just something that doesn't happen. And for the stars aligned and there I was. And, uh, you know, I was, quite frankly, closer to Lee 
if for no other reason, Lee is closer to my age than Pate was, or is, uh, and uh, um, and so it's it's very important to have a, a political mentor or somebody that tells you how to not only how to get reelected, but how to handle yourself in all kinds of situations that you might not have anticipated. So uh, PK and I uh, had a good friend who passed a few years ago and was a mentor to both of us and a mentor to a lot of folks in town, and that was one Daryl Whistler. Mm. Just wondered if uh, you had any good Daryl Whistler stories you'd like to share with us. Well, I don't know if I'd call him good. My entire relationship with Daryl was just wonderful. He he was kind of a mentor. He kind of saw himself as a mentor. Yeah. He made no bones about it. Right. He called me boy. He'd say, hey, hey, boy, how you doing today? Or, hey, young man. Same here. I think same there, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I took it the way he offered it, which was yeah. very, you know, trying to build a bridge and, and be a help. And I could go to him, and I did go to him over time because he was planning and zoning, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and as a volunteer for how many oh, decades? Yeah, two and a half. Yeah. I mean, close to yeah. 30 years. Yeah. That, that man really gave and gave and gave. Yeah. And got paid zero for it, right. and and then you know he helped. I don't know, but I won't speak for any other mayor. But when I got there, I knew Robert's rules and orders cold. I did not know the zoning map cold, <laughs> and he was a, a big, big help to me. And not only say, okay, look at the map, look at the colors, and then here's the guide on the side, and and more importantly, this is why this is yellow as opposed to not red or blue. Because he knew the story behind it all. And that's where I came up with that defense that I used many times, which is I was in grade school when they did the zoning map. What are you, what are you giving <laughs> me a hard time for? Cooler minds. I called it cooler minds at cooler times. Drew these maps with the future in mind and the best for all of Elmers. Right. And that's another suggestion I just hit on that I would give any mayor, any of the three candidates that are running now, which is you have to be the mayor for all of Elmhurst. Look it up in the dictionary if you don't understand it. That means all, everybody. And so I think the three different mayors right now, one comes from the north side of town, one is kind of more to the south, and one is in the center. You have to, That's irrelevant when you're mayor. You have to be the mayor for everybody. And I stumbled across this one night. I was speaking, as I do, and I just rambling along. And I said this, and I looking at the crowd or the audience wasn't a crowd. The audience was listening to me. I realized I had said something significant. That you just can't be the you know I live on St. Charles Road. I can't be the mayor for St. Charles Road. You know I I I have a, a daughter that lives in College View. You can't be the mayor for College View to the detriment of the rest of the town. Every citizen of the community deserves to have your ear and deserves to feel comfortable with the idea that you are looking out for them, whether they live. Uh, just shy of Grand Avenue on the north end of town, or just you know south of Roosevelt Road, it doesn't matter. You got it, and 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 that's so. So you have to do. My little guideposts were always do what's best for the whole town, and always understand that what you do has a long-term effect. Played, I played the long game. It was never about this year or this budget or you know making the current problem go away because. The city of Elmers has been here for what now, 150 years altogether. You know, back to the original, and uh, you, you got that's how you have to play it. So right. that's how I did it. 
So I can't bring myself to vote early if I'm going to be in town. Mm-hmm. I just have this thing. I've got to go on election day. Mm-hmm. Just curious. Do you, you vote early? I do. I've already voted this time. So you're not going to change your mind between now and election no, day? No, I'm not going to change. No, you only get to vote once. And uh, uh, I I don't have a big you know I know that there's a huge discussion in the country right now about early voting. I don't have a philosophical problem with early voting, but I think this is just my opinion now. It's not, not a fact. I saw a quote by a United States senator in the paper yesterday morning where somebody was accusing him of voter. He was supporting some bill, and he was being accused of voter su- suppression. And he said, all I'm talking about here is gleaning the names of deceased peoples off the rolls. How can, how can that be voter suppression to get dead people off the rolls? That doesn't make any sense. The, the point is, I think that this definition of voter suppression, in, now this is a political statement on my part, I guess, has gone too far. I mean, it's one thing when they first said, it is absolutely restrictive when you can only vote from 6 in the morning till 6 at night on Tuesday, the first Tuesday of November. That's restrictive because a lot of people have jobs. Right. And they can't. They just simply can't do it or they have day, daycare issues or whatever it happens to be. Right. So there should be some flexibility. And for many years, maybe two decades, there's been some flexibility. You could vote early for a week. You could bring your kids you know, with you into like right now you go into Elmhurst City Council Chambers where the early voting's going on. There's nobody there right now. No one. I walked right in and wiped out and there's nobody there but me and the judges. Uh, uh, but, it, you know, it, it goes a little too far. And since we're in the, my political opinions, I don't have any problem with making people show an ID. Yeah. I show IDs all day long. I've probably showed my ID three or four times in the last week. Yeah. And voting is about the most important thing you do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with showing an ID. None. Or we could do, I kind of like what they do, I think it's Afghanistan. What's, when you vote, what's that? When you vote, you dip your finger in some ink. Oh. And your finger is purple for the next three or four days. Huh. And so that means that makes sure nobody votes twice. I think it's kind of simple and ingenious. I think it's really a good <laughs> idea. So now, again, put yourself in Mayor Morley's shoes. Mm-hmm. It's uh, mid-April. You, you, the new mayor has already been determined. Mm-hmm. You're uh, one of your last days at 209 North York, I believe, is the address. Right, sounds right. And you're uh, you're sitting there at the resolute desk in your office, and <laughs> you've got your quill pen and <laughs> some parchment. You're going to write a letter, a note that you're to leave. your successor. What are you going to put on it? Uh, if Steve asked me that question tomorrow morning, I'd say, listen to the E-Town Lowdown. And all the stuff that I discussed about the way I would handle myself. and who, I mean, that's all I could tell him is how I did it. Who knew the pearls of wisdom that we put forth on the community? Right. right. <laughs> so uh, I did not write a note uh, when I left. Uh, I, I, don't, I didn't receive a note when I came into the office. So that's... A question that I didn't anticipate. I'm sure you had a conversation. Very little. No. Yeah. Chuck Garrigus was one of the reasons why he didn't run was that he was going to be taking a job out of town. So he moved like almost immediately. He's gone. And uh, uh, so I, I really didn't have much. How about your successor? There wasn't much of a handoff. Uh, Pete? Yeah. 
Well, you know that, I think I was talking about, did I mention this story about the book on the shelf, you know, call me when you need me? Yeah. yeah. Pete didn't call very much, which is fine. It's not like it's not like a bad thing. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. He knew who he was. He knew what he wanted to accomplish, and he didn't feel the need to call me, and I was perfectly fine with that. Yeah. That's, you know, fine. Well, Tom, thanks so much for spending time with us here tonight. We want to have you back in a month or two and uh, talk a little bit more about some experiences you had as mayor. Some specific funny stories, which I know you have plenty of. Mm-hmm. So well, uh, I hope you'll. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be glad to come by. I don't know. Maybe we should stretch it out more than a month or two. Your listeners might be sick of me just blathering on Actually, here. Actually, we get calls all the time for you. <laughs> this, this isn't about our <laughs> sure listeners. This yeah. is about us. Oh, okay. <laughs> we want you back soon. Uh, all right. so. I'll be here. I will make myself available. Both of our listeners can hold Both, out. Yeah, your wives. <laughs> and uh, and we'll look forward to uh, being able to talk about the election after it actually happens. Oh, yeah. Good idea. That's, so, that's th- good. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for having thanks me. Thanks for being here. All right. The E-Town Lowdown, brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra, featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter.